So, Father Peter, um, one of one of the things that we uh, we're working on as a house of prayer is trying to build relationships with different parts, different groups in the church here in Austin, um, yes. and um, and work towards some some form of unity. Um, and aside from having building relationships, having meals together, um, what do, I, I guess my question is, do you have any suggestions on how we could go about um, pushing this work forward? Well, I think friendship is, is, is the door yeah. above all others because you've got to build trust. Yeah. And it's no good trying to organize anything before there's a real trust. Yeah. And, um, and then I think trust, friendship, and discernment, because you will sense that some people are much more uh, men of the spirit, men of God, or women of spirit, than others. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me ask real fast. When do you need to go to the airport? Do you know? Um, I probably need to be there in about an hour. Okay, perfect. Yeah, my dad's gonna come back and take. Okay, just want to make sure you didn't know you need to go with him now. Gotcha. So, um, I think um, it's um, and I think you have to let new steps emerge out of the relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you're always sort of coming up with schemes that you're inviting them to take part Absolutely. in. That tend not, you get some response, but it won't tend to work that well. You've got to, you've got to build the relationships. <laughs> well, it's exhausting to constantly ask people no, to do right. something. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You've got to build the relationships and then see, sense the opportunities and what they're interested in and come up with something jointly with them that they're equally enthusiastic about to you then something will move. And you can't necessarily tell who those people are in advance because, you know, it's going to be the relationships and the quality of the relationships that will show you that. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I would say. I don't, it's no good coming up with plans in advance before you know the people about, you know, it would be better to try this sort of initiative or something. No, I don't think so. I think yeah. the relationship friendships come first. Now, I think... In this, you've also got to see some of the people will have fears that you're out to use them. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is very common reaction. People like this, that there's some ulterior motive right. in your inviting them, and you've really got something that you're not telling them. You've got a hidden agenda. Have I told you why we brought you here? <laughs> <laughs> Time to. No, but I've met you already. <laughs> um, so, um, I think, um, you know, because people will be suspicious of that, or they'll be suspecting there is. And when they discover that there isn't, they can begin to relax and sort of, um, and you'll find out who who is happy to spend time with you, who share certain visions, certain values and concerns and who doesn't and um, you know it's out of what's really shared that new 
ventures can arise. I think that's how I see it. I mean, that, and it's been said prophetically, the house of prayer is also the house of friends. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll really see that more and more. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's kind of just, okay, I believe that, but it's the walking out of that where I think it gets a little clearer as, like you said, as, you know, relationships are really proven. I think another thing you can do when you meet people is really ask them, say, we want to pray for you, your congregation, what, let, keep letting us know what are your major mm -hmm. needs and the things in your hearts. And you see, this is a service that fits with House of Prayer, but it also is, is really um, honoring them and listening to them and not trying to put your agenda onto them. And so I would recommend that. I mean, uh, that couldn't even be an initial approach. Our, our initial approach is we'd like to get to know you and do meet sometime, but, um, but you know, we are wanting to pray for all churches in Austin, and, you know, we need to, it's helpful for us yeah. to know what you're going through, what your needs are, your priorities, and so on, and, and if you let us know, we will pray for these things. Yeah. One of my desires is that we would someday have a file in every church and pastor in the city, not you know, a file like a salesperson would have so that you can know how to ask them for things, but a file of how we can give and so that when we meet a pastor, we can ask them, you know, how's that, this project going? Or, so anyway, that's hopefully we'll get to that Tell you some point. a story yeah. in England. You know, the uh, it's quite common. It's different from the U.S. here, but the priest's house usually next to the church and, and people are used to going up to the ring on the priest's door you don't have to make an appointment to see the pastor like you do here normally mm. and um, so there are a lot of beggars who ring the bell and ask for money and so on and so I heard the story of um, you know there was a beggar who kept a little book with a note of how much he got at all the different places around the country you see and when he'd been around everywhere, he sold this book to another beggar. <laughs> so we'll sell our files. Whatever you think of that's initiative. <laughs> no, it's really fun. I was thought that that is a, wow. You know, anyway, good. good. Now, do you have a library here? Well, yes. Well, not well organized. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I've got a sense about this. I don't think that it's necessarily supposed to be big, you know, library in the house of prayer, that's not the point. But I think it's very important what books you have there. And you, you really need sort of only the books you can recommend unreservedly mm. yeah. and I think this is important because there's a lot of stuff out there particularly the charismatic market that <coughs> is mixed <coughs> and um, has good stuff in that you can learn from but it, it also is mixed up with with other stuff and you know I'm particularly aware of this having what some people call big picture ministry you see that there's a lot of people who've learned quite a lot within a, a narrower framework. And so things they write 
express sometimes the narrowness of their framework as well as what they've learned from the Lord. And I think for you here, especially with... See, one thing that strikes me here is there's something unusual, though I have no experience before of houses of prayer like this, so, you know, this is exciting to mention in my visit, to sort of see what's happening in a place like this. But, because I haven't visited IHOP, and um, I've heard of it, and met people from there, but I've not... Um, I don't... I've never been there. And I think that... Um, there's something that, you know, it's important to have a small strategic library of the sort of things that will be very valuable in the formation of people here and that would um, not have this sort of mixed character. Now, of course, this, you know, the mixed thing, there are some books that are really excellent, but, you know, there may be sort of 2% that you're not so... You know, but but there are, but um, I think this this is very important. You see, and I, I, what I was going back to say that the, I think the, the sort of Catholic evangelical mix you have here is probably rather unique. Is this right, or Smith? It's unusual. Or what? We're not familiar with with other. No. Okay. Yeah. No, but I mean, I. You know, I've, um, you see, this is one of the things that struck me when I met you. And um, I think this is, um, you know, I doubt if, if the sort of groups that you've been gathering like to meet me, I doubt if this is happening in lots of places. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's the only place, but I think this is a very special dimension of what's happening mm -hmm. here. And it gives you huge potential. But it also requires that you're growing in knowledge and understanding in order to, to fulfill your, this potential. That's good. Because if, if you're ignorant in some areas, you know, it's going to limit your influence because when, when you meet people from these different constituencies, if the way you talk shows that you don't really understand much about the heritage, um, it's going to put them off having a closer relationship with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this this is, so it, 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 it's very important. But, you know, now, of course, I know what a natural question might be, which is, can you recommend the book? <laughs> but <laughs> um, um, I can help, but I, I, I think... You know, there can be different sorts of book. Um, I think... Um, see, just at one level, I'm thinking, you know, that David Duplessis' book, The Spirit Bade Me Go, mm -hmm. this is very helpful mm -hmm. in this way because David Duplessis, you know, was a Pentecostal who was led out to go to all the churches, including the Catholic and he was a man of faith and obedience and it's a very inspiring story and it's very easy to read, it's not a demanding book at all, but that's the sort of thing that and it's also telling people about a pioneer figure, I think this is important for people honouring the pioneers mm -hmm. you 
you see. And this also protects us against thinking mm -hmm. that nobody's ever thought of the things I'm thinking before, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is generally not true. <laughs> you know, even where you are a pioneer. And it, so it helps to keep you humble. Good. That's good. That, um, that word reminds me <coughs> of a very vivid dream I had. And, and there are two aspects of the dream. One was that I went... It, it, there was a house, and it was sort of set at Hope Chapel, which is our evangelical home where Thomas and I met. And I believe you'll meet the pastor of Hope Chapel tomorrow, I think. Um, it was sort of Hope Chapel, but not really, and, and they were building a new house. Um, and I, I went into the house, this <coughs> new house, and um, the pastor was showing me around. And the first place they went to was the guest room which was a very nice room, but it was very tiny. So that there was a bed in it, and people had to squeeze. Like, there was hardly room between the wall and the door to get around. And, um, and they were talking about how proud they were of the guest room. And my, my thought was that, well, yes, it's, it's a very lovely room, but it's very tiny. And, um, and then we went to the library, which was huge. And the library was filled, like you said, with mixed books. Some books that were very, very good, and, and some that were, were just awful. <laughs> and, and I remember being concerned, thinking, these books don't belong here. And there were a whole shelf of Bibles, and they were all, in the dream, they were happy about how many Bibles they had. And I thought, but nobody's using these. And it's interesting, because I thought of that dream recently, because we have a whole row of Bibles on our bookshelf, a whole yeah. shelf of them. But the fun thing is if you started noonday prayer, we're actually using them now, and I'm really happy about that. So we get them and pass them out, and I'm thrilled to be actually using them instead of seeing them sit there. But I, I do understand kind of that we, we have sort of become a dumping ground for people who, who say, oh, you know, I have a bunch of books here, and you want to stick them on your bookshelf. And so I don't think we really know what's in there. Yeah. Because it, um, We've got some of my college textbooks in there. Costa County? Yeah, Costa County and finance. East Texas Dictionary. There's probably nothing spiritually misleading in those. <laughs> <laughs> but the guest room, I think, was interesting because my feeling about the guest room is that it was, it was this place given to the Holy Spirit. That, that was my impression, that there was a lot given to, to writing and, and intellectual and, and different thoughts. There was a huge space given to, to the world of the mind, but a very tiny space given to, to the place of the spirit. And, um, and reading your book, The Glory and the Shame, has had me reconsider um, the importance of the spirit and the place of the spirit very much, and, and just want, wanting to increase my own capacity to walk in the Spirit. Because I, I think that on the surface, the whole idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the charismatic movement can appear to be divisive. Um, yeah, and it has been. I mean, it's been, it's, it's been, I think, misunderstood. Like, oh, if you speak in tongues, you're in, and if you don't, you're out. And, and, and not looking at the whole person. And... Um, but I, after, I, I believe that, that the Holy Spirit is a, a key to unity, and I'm beginning to see that more and more and wanting to walk uh, in the Spirit and, and just wanting to know how, um, 
wanting to see the spirit of God poured out more widely throughout the city. And so just reading your book made me kind of um, kind of sad in a sense because I remember I remember the early charism. I was a child, but I remember um, the renewal, the revival in the 1970s, early 1970s. I remember going to church almost every night and falling asleep on the sides of the church, listening to people singing in tongues, and it just because there was so much excitement and um, <coughs> and though. I think that all of us, everybody in the house of prayer has had some experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That sort of corporate experience, I think, is missing in our church. So I don't know if anybody has any thoughts about that. The word that comes to me about Libra is strategic. Mm-hmm. In your dream of the, the new house of prayer building, that long dream, wasn't there something about a school or a library in that? Mm-hmm. It was really run down. It was behind. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think I think that's a, a very good word. I think it not only speaks to the physical library, but to be what you care so much about, which is formation and development yeah. um, and teaching. Um, and we do have we have developed, I think, a good core set of books that we that speak to the things that, that the Lord's called us to. And this is, we've actually developed it more in the context of the youth program. So when the youth come in, like on the summer program, you know, these are the books we have them read. These are the, the, the authors we give to them. But we haven't spread that out in the community wide, you know. So I think, there's, I think there's some good starts to that, but only a start. It's very much on my heart when I come on to spend a lot of my time um, studying and uh, some of the things mm-hmm. I've wanted to look into are you know, reading some more biographies of the um, you know, Wesley and uh, people like that and, uh, and, and reading about the different streams that we'll be ministering to like Father Peter mentioned knowing who you're talking to mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I very much want to devote blocks of time each day that I'm here to, to, to study I am um just in relation to that, I had a, was several years ago, I had a dream um, the night before I went to go meet with a, a certain senior pastor in the city. Um, and I, the, the reason initially I had set up the appointment was to ask his church for financial support. And in the dream, I felt like the Lord told me, no, ask him for wisdom instead. Um, and so when I met with him, that's what I did. I said, um, I just wanted to add, this is what I'm doing, this is this is where we are, where I feel like God's called me to, and I just wanted to ask you for wisdom. And one of the first things he said to me was, um, um, look into and begin to study systematic theology. Um, which was an interesting response that I wasn't expecting. Um, but he said, if you're relating to people in all different parts of the body of Christ, it's really helpful to understand systematic theology. Um, the other thing he said is that in every group and in every denomination, there are people on the fringe that will hinder unity, and people that are going to be more open to it. So th- those are, and I actually just reread that recently in, in one of my journals. Those are the two things he said to me. This was in real life? Or a dream? Yeah. 
There, there was a dream that led to the question, but that was real life. Oh, okay. So. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you were um, speaking about um, the small place for the Holy Spirit. And several things were coming, were flashing, and, and uh, one of them was that you know, people, one of the questions has been for us in Charlotte was, you know, how did the house prayer really start? I mean, really, what was kind of the 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 um, the means by which something like that really could could develop? And my probably my most uh, emphatic response has been, it should be, I think, in terms of what I understand. Uh, when we uh, the very first meeting that we had. And uh, we called together people to pray, and it was our first, you know, okay, we're gonna, we're starting something. It's kind of right now, moving forward. And I remember when we started, you know, just prayed, and this one thing just pops into my mind. It was just totally spontaneous, but it, it just really marked me. Um, it's like that was so good. I know that was God. And uh, and I closed our prayer as we began. I just asked the Lord. I said, Would you just mark? Would you mark this house, would you mark this movement in Charlotte with the humility that you find attractive? Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. because, you know, really what you guys are to do is to host the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has few friends. That's right. And his eyes are searching the earth, you know, to and fro to find those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And, you know, to be his friend at times just means that you're just waiting and listening and, and uh, you know, Whatever you want prayed, oh God, I'll pray that. Or whatever you want to tell somebody, I'm here listening. And I think even to probe or to move further in that direction, people say, "How do you hear from God? And why don't I get more?" And you know, is, you know, why doesn't it have this that? And I think one of the, in, to that regard, it really has to do with humility that's manifest by being willing to be discreet, and that is everything that God says. And most of the things that God says aren't really for disclosure. and it, Because God really does give secrets. Mm-hmm. And He really is looking for people to speak things to that nobody else necessarily will ever know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really is for intercession. And if you can, mm-hmm. if you take the mindset, A, that we are really here for the Holy Spirit, whatever He wants to do, that there is a place in this city where He's being sought, He's being waited upon. That, to God, is outrageous. I mean, the Lord is attracted to you, Melody. He's looking for the house of friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, to, to all that end, you know, the information will come. And sometimes it will be profound. Sometimes it will really be dramatic. And sometimes it is for public disclosure, but mostly it's not. Yeah. And that's how you get more. Because mm-hmm. He trusts you. He can trust you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. not going to wreck your heart. It's not going to wreck the people around you. And mm-hmm. just go low. Just go low. Mm-hmm. I know that the Lord, you know, He gives grace to the humble. He's, he won't oppose you. He's looking for a place where He can lead. That's good. He's looking for a place where He will be heard, and where He was, and just where He'll be believed, because that's what prayer is—believing God. I believe you. I don't know how it could happen, but I'm going to ask you because I believe you. I believe for your will. Host the Holy Spirit. You're here to host the Holy Spirit. No question. I just wanted to. Sp- Spring off of what When we were in Aaronhead and first met Father Peter, uh, we went to him the last day we were there. I don't know if you remember this, and asked him to pray for us. And we didn't know him very well, 
but my expectation at least being having a little bit of experience with Catholic priests was you know yes and we pray for you and oftentimes you just get a blessing which is a wonderful thing I love it but probably Peter gave us much more than that he sat and he prayed with us and spoke into our lives and the one of, one of the things that he said very clearly that really lodged deep in both Amy and I was he just said humility 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 he repeated it three times and it, and it was very for us very important and Amy keeps reminding me of that which I appreciate. Tagging off of what Amy said, Father Peter, is there a particular book on baptism in the Holy Spirit that you might recommend? Because I bet that that's going to happen more and more. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, there's 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 an there's a more theological book by a Pentecostal about this that's the best that I know um, by called Baptized in Spirit by Frank Machia M-A-C-C-H-I-A in fact I was talking up in Minneapolis um, and I said your, your book is a program for the whole of Pentecostal theology but you see, most of the books about baptism, most of the stuff about baptism spirit gets into a whole lot of stuff about um, the order of events at the beginning, you know, about conversion, baptism spirit, and the role of speaking in tongues and initial evidence, and can you be baptized in spirit without speaking in tongues, and all these sort of questions. And the problem with all this, sort of, there's acres of literature on all these things. And it doesn't really uh, give you much of the heart and mind of God. <laughs> and um, I think that the thing about this book is it takes this central idea that this is the heart of Jesus' ministry to baptize with Holy Spirit. Wow. That this is what Jesus came to do more than anything else. You know, I've come and cast fire on the earth. And so um, that this is a key concept for understanding Jesus and what he's done for us. Mm -hmm. And then he looks, works this out in terms of every aspect of a chapter on worship, a chapter on ethics, behavior, and so on, a chapter on other. And so he's working this through uh, the, the implications of this pouring out of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit for each area of Christian life. And I think this, it, this is why I think this is the best book. Now, it's a book by... A theologian teaches in a, in a university and college in, in California, Southern California. But um, I think this this uh, it's the first book on that written of a more scholarly kind, which I felt this is absolutely on the button. Yeah. You know, mm. a book, big book or. 250 pages maybe. What's the title again? Baptized in Spirit, I think it's okay. called. What, um, what, what do you think about the idea that uh, uh, of the systematic theology and its importance in understanding for unity? Well, you know, studying systematic theology is a big task because, you know, um, the, 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 the big works of systematic theology are usually sort of several volumes and um, 
of several hundred pages each. And um, now, of course, you know, a lot of the famous works of systematic theology are, are um, works that present um, a particular heritage and tradition. So you will find sort of more Calvinist works of systematic theology and you will find, you know, and mm -hmm. so on. And so this is the problem with that idea because um, I don't, you know, uh, now, you know, it's good to, I think, you know, the, the thing about systematic theology is it's correlate, it's fitting everything in and it's looking at the whole. And in one way, this is very good and very important looking at the whole, because we need to consider how everything fits into the whole. There is a whole. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, um, you know, if sometimes works for systematic theory, the people have one key idea and then they impose that on the whole, mm -hmm. rather than allowing mm -hmm. the whole to sort of shine through. And, you know, and then you get more sort of slanted works of systematic theology that and so the problem is whether you know you'd recognize what is something yeah. then also works of systematic theology generally have some sort of philosophical basis that you know and and so it depends what philosophical basis is actually being used by a particular um, theologian I mean you know there are you see of works of systematic theology of second half of 20th century. There was a man, I don't know if he's lining on our helmet, Thielica, a German. He was, this is very Lutheran systematic theology. There's a, there's a man who's still alive, Wolfhard Pannenberg, has produced systematic theology. Um, I, I've, um, I, uh, Catholics have tended not to produce so many systematic theologies, but I, I know one book actually is quite interesting to my man called Van Beek. But there's um, that's not so well known. Um, and um, and of course you've got Charles Karl Barth, Church Dogmatics, you see, which is um, which is about <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, this is more like eighteen volumes or something. It has four parts and each part has more than one volume, some several. Wow. You know, it has, <laughs> it has part... It has <laughs> but, what, but once you read it, you understand God. Part, 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 <laughs> part four... Part four... He num didn't even read it. Number one. <laughs> part four, number one, volume one. <laughs> and, but, um, no, I mean, you can be very enriched by reading something like that. Karl Barth especially where the person was really, you know, there's, there's clearly this man knows the Lord, you know, and there's some the passion from God that's driving it forward. And I think that was true of Karl Barth. But um, nonetheless, it, it's, it's a particular angle, um, starting point and approach. And so he was opposed to, you know, Karl Barth was very much all faith and minimal role for human reason and um, 
and a lot of other works, systematic theology, are very different from that. Uh, but this was Bart's whole thing was it's all God, and it's almost as though man does almost nothing. Um, now, um, part of this is driven by a sense of the awesomeness of God, um, but you know sometimes people push things to conclusions which are are, are not uh, accurate, and so. Um, yes, I mean, um, it's good, to, but you see, I think what I'd, I'm not sure it's important for you. You see, what I'd say is for people who are studying theology, going to a college, something, doing a theology course, reading a whole systematic theology is very valuable because it's also train, discipline. Train. The and one of the dangers today is that some of the people who go and do theology don't read any systemat big systematic theology like this, and all they do is read sort of trendy books uh, of two or a few hundred pages, many of which are, are of very little value, and nobody will be reading in 15 years' time, mm -hmm. and they spend their time reading studies reading that sort of stuff. Um, you see, now, um, but. Therefore, I, I think it's more important for people who, who are, really feel a call to study theology and therefore should really give some time to it and do a course and so on, and then they should read some major works with systematic theology. But for somebody who's not called to real major theological study, I would say I, I think it's probably not helpful, so helpful, because you it's, it's not the greatest need and it's... And it, you, you don't have the equipment to, to sort of discern probably sort of what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses of this particular author. Right. I, I feel that the heart of that recommendation was to understand um, the theology and the concerns of, of the different groups. And I think that's something that Father Peter understands very, very well. But I'm sure it's taken a lifetime <laughs> To, to come to that. And so I, I think that's the heart of the recommendation. And so it may be that, that you have recommendations for Felipe and and, um, and and gems from different traditions that would maybe sum up the story. No, I think the thing that's most helpful for Felipe, I think that's exactly right, Amy. I think the thing that's most helpful for Felipe is that you is, is selected books um, that are, are really, that are deep and profound and well researched and sort of historically uh, rooted that and biblically rooted that um, um, you know but selected things and maybe from different traditions yeah. mm -hmm. but um, I think that that's much more helpful for you do you think you I could think help me put together that list probably um, I'm, you know, I'm always being asked. For, uh, you know, in fact, uh, we. One of the problems I find is some of the people have asked me about certain things. They say, "Well, that book doesn't exist yet." <laughs> um, we want that list too. <laughs> um, you know, of, of, of something that covers all the aspects of something, because. 
I think the spirit is opening up new questions, especially you see with regard to the things to do with Israel and the Jewish people, because this sort of this is something that's really opening up in modern times, and so all the time there's things being written, some of which, again, some which are excellent, some which are not, but um, you know the the. I said this, I think, in one or two sentences. I think there's some questions that we're not in a position to answer at this time. You know, the law, it's like the Spirit has raised the question and it's going to take time to, to produce an adequate answer. Right. And um, so don't approach these sort of studies as though mm -hmm. you, you're, going to, you're looking for the complete answer, the A, B, C of everything that's going to answer all the questions and there's nothing more to settle. I mean, do not allow yourself to... Yeah. This is a question of what you're expecting. I think it, part of our heart in doing it would be also to, almost like you study your children, you, know, you study your children, you study your wife, or you want to know, we want to know where the churches are coming from so we right. can pray right. better. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think exactly. that would be our heart. I also want to, I just feel strongly, Michael, just to come back to what you said and say that you have a gift given by God for input and synthesis. So I believe Michael's going to play a key role in our community going forward yeah. of taking these in, chewing on them, and, and teaching us yeah. these things. It's not just Felipe, and so I just want to affirm um, that. In let me and also, there's a role of the Holy Spirit in this because um, multiple roles. You know, in my experience, in a, also on this trip, the Lord leads me to find books that are very helpful. You know, I go to bookshop and suddenly find, wow, you know, and, uh, uh, this is the right thing. And often, uh, and there's a sense of timing in it also. It's the right mm -hmm. season Absolutely for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, good. And that you need to and be really praying and asking yeah. the Lord so that you're led. And also, when I was doing my research for my PhD, I experienced remarkable leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, I mean, if there's time to tell you one illustration of this, I was researching yeah. the origins of the charismatic movement in prison. See, and so I was at a conference in Oxford of about revivals. I'm sorry, don't do that. Is John back? Excuse me. Yeah, John's out there. He's okay. So you got to go. Let me uh, let me walk out with you. Okay. Very good. Excuse Great me. to see you, Greg. It's a pleasure. Yeah. A real pleasure. Yeah, bless you. Bless you. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta run the hard job. Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. Good. Amen. Oh, oh, love you, Greg. Got to back there. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. Bless you. Yeah, so good to see you. Yeah. Thank you. 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 Well, uh, thought I had to start about the book.
Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you see, I was at a conference in Oxford on revivals, and I was praying, you know, about meeting anybody significant for my research at this conference. And I was told before going there about a man who'd been involved in the early days of renewal in London, and a retired Anglican priest. And so he was there, and I, um, he turned out to contribute some things, but not to be a key person. But um, I prayed during the conference, Lord, if it's valuable, I also needed somewhere to stay a night between Oxford and Northampton after this. Thank you. And, nice. and I prayed, Lord, if it's right, you know, and helpful, I don't, that this man would invite me to stay at his place for the night because he was on the way. I also had friends further on that I could have gone to if he hadn't invited. But so, anyway, then he did. When he said goodbye, he did invite me, mm-hmm. and um, so I knew I should go. And but I didn't know at that point how useful he, he himself would be. I thought it was primarily to meet him. And um, so, and then, but when he leaves, he's leaving, he says, well, when you arrive, he said, um, you know, in fact, we'll be in the middle of a prayer meeting, that's all right, you know, we, we have a prayer meeting on Friday night, and, and, um, and he said, you just come in and take part, and then stay the night after, and we can talk. So, anyway, I went there, and it was quite a small prayer meeting in an old cottage in English village, you know, one of these thatched roofs sort of places, mm. very picturesque, and, um, <coughs> and there were only about seven people at the prayer meeting, and um, he introduced me to all the others, and one of them was another Anglican priest who he told me something said some things and I realized quickly this man was a key person mm. and he he was had been he'd been head run a, a healing mission in London for many years and it was there there was an outbreak of speaking in tongues among their intercessors in the middle of the 50s mm. and he was led and he began to write about things and I got copies of his newsletter. So in the end of my telling the story of the beginnings in England, this man had a whole chapter of what happened. Mm. Now, I'd never even heard of him before I went to this meeting. Mm. I thought I was going to meet, primarily spend time with the guy who'd invited me. Mm. So the next morning, I went into the town nearby and had a longer time with this man I discovered that didn't know before. And, and this was really significant. And, you know, I find this sort of thing all the time, that, um, you know, you're guided to the right people. When If you're seeking the Holy Spirit in what you're doing, and this applies also to reading and things, you are going to be led. Mm-hmm. And I think this is very important in this sort of thing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. because the Spirit is in all the details. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, and I, I think what this word um, about Michael, I think that um, this is right, that um, with your gift you will play a role 
you know, other people may discover more things, but you will play a role of how they fit together. Does that mean? I, I think that's really true, and I, I think that's one of the building blocks that the Lord has put in your life, um, maybe for this season, is your study of philosophy. Mm-hmm. See, Felipe will probably discover more, and this is necessary also. But, um, you know, the. Uh, so good. One of the things that's inspired me as much as any teaching that's come out of Kansas City's House of Prayer is the example that Mike Bickle has set in, in, in the research and reading he's done. You know, he's always quoting some biography. You know, he's, you know, with, you know Wesley uh, Edwards, you know, obscure people, David Brainerd, and these books he's read, he says, he always goes on and on about how he has like 10 concordances, and he just loves digging in the Word and looking it up and stuff. And um, So I very much have caught that heart and like, as, a, as an infection. I've, I've caught that from him, from his example. I want to, I want to do that. It's interesting because you know, the college I went to read only original works. It didn't read kind of secondary sources. And so when I read most Christian books now, I it's almost I don't, I read very little because it's so hard to. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's just nothing there. Or it's yeah, a lot of well it sort of mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, was, <laughs> my, I don't deal with them away because. Because I'm stupid that way, and so, I put, <laughs> so I put them on the House of Prayer bookshelf. Oh. <laughs> okay. So I think I'm going to change my ways. Yeah, clean house. <laughs> I particularly will, I think, begin to pray more when we met at John and Anne. Something that Father Peter said about discerning what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church vis-a-vis other spirits that are distracting in a way because there are plenty of spirits around. So that takes some real discernment. I've already begun to pray for the gifts of discernment that God wants to give. I think with this question of primary sources this is very important because read the books by people who've worked on original sources. Um, and, you know, I've much involved with Messianic Jews, and this is a desperate area for sort of, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of poor books about Messianic Jews and things like this, and the, especially the history. See, and so. Um, what what I see is that there are lots of these books written where they just read another book by somebody else and they're just copying the whole thing and there's no original people have never consulted original sources at all and this means that there are are various errors that have made and you find the same error repeated countlessly in lots of other books because the people have no way of knowing whether it's an error or not and um and there's not much scholarly literature in that area, so there aren't people pointing mm-hmm. out that these, these these sort of things are based on misunderstanding. They don't understand the things. See, so 
for example, you'll find a lot of garbage written about the first council of Nicaea by, by Messianic Jews. And, um, and um, it's important to realize this and, um, and to have a discernment because you see that you're one of the things that the Lord's leading me into at the moment and I feel I'm to give a talk on this to meeting of intercessors and have every year um, is this issue of the Hebrew and the Greek and the relationship between the two um, because this is very fundamental See, and there's a huge amount of literature out there that's very simplistic and says virtually is saying Hebrew good, Greek bad. See, and this is not accurate, and it doesn't make sense. You know, the whole of the New Testament's written in Greek, so if you th have this Hebrew good, Greek bad sort of model operating in your mind, I mean, how come the New Testament is written all in Greek? You know. That's very interesting that the young man that you met paid for Will Bybee yeah. is actually starting his PhD in, in Hebrew studies and, and that is that he just he said that exact same thing to us at dinner the other night. So it's very much on his heart. See, and this is a very widespread thing in charismatic especially linked to those with a love for Israel. Father Fira, do you mean the the language? Greek is bad and the language Hebrew is No, it's the whole Hebrew. culture. The whole culture. See, okay. So that and the philosophy and the way of thinking. You see, it's true there's a difference between Hebrew way of thinking and Greek way of thinking. Yeah. Um, but you know the but you see, for example, the councils of the church, like Nicaea and so on, represented an expression of the faith, of Christian faith in the Greek world because that was the dominant language. And, um, and so on this Hebrew good, Greek bad sort of model thing, it means this is total distortion of the biblical revelation. If, that's what, if, you, if you're operating on that sort of Hebrew culture for good, good Greek bad, then the, 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 the formulation of Christian faith, according in Greek language and categories, is 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 necessarily falsification. Mm -hmm. But in fact, this this is a terrible oversimplification. Now, I think there was something lost, or the things that disappeared or got weakened through the lack of understanding of God's continuing purpose for Jewish people. This is true, but the question is working out what it was. And if you operate with this Hebrew good, Greek bad sort of methodology, you end up regarding the develop all the developments as sort of catastrophic mm -hmm. and a total distortion of, of the scriptures. And this is just false and uh, and very dangerous. Um, I mean, Pope Benedict is one of the specialists in this area, and it's one of the things he's he's sort of. Um, written about quite a bit but of course Pope Benedict is a very learned man and th this this kind of oversimplification is the sort of thing that he would <laughs> you know, he doesn't um, 
Well, um, I think he wouldn't often meet the sort of people who would express it in his crudest form, put it that way. But um, I think, you know, I come across this all the time, and even among people who are very receptive, you know, to all the Lord's work, they, they read something, or they pick something up and uh, that's expressing this sort of mentality, and then they, they buy into it without realizing it, it's, it's how problematic it is. And um, you see also, the, um, in the time of Jesus, there were Greek-speaking Jews and Hebrew-speaking Jews in, 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 in Israel, in Jerusalem and so on. And you get, in Acts 5, you get this quarrel that's broken out between the Greek speakers and the Hebrew speakers. Mm -hmm. And um, and it, 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 it's not a quarrel between right and wrong. And um, so, but it affects how you treat a lot of issues. So, you know, I think particularly for things relating to Israel, popular literature on this. This is one of the things to watch out for because mm -hmm. it's just not helpful. Mm -hmm. It's true that that the he it was the revelation is shaped and formed first in the Hebrew culture, and this is particularly. But it's but the you see the question with the Greek culture is what happened when there was this interaction with the Hebrew, and particularly mm -hmm. in the Christian world. Though the interaction began in Judaism before Jesus mm -hmm. came. Mm -hmm. But um, it, the question is what happened and um, Pope Benedict, what he, position he takes really is that the interaction of the, of the Hebrew and the Greek produced a new synthesis mm -hmm. that, was, that was a richness from the coming together of these two heritage. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't simply the, the Hebrew being sucked into and absorbed and, and virtually taken over by an alien philosophy, mm -hmm. that, which is false. Mm -hmm. So, and and so, Pope Benedict saying that what emerged from in the first century of the Christian Church was something generally new. It wasn't just a repetition of of earlier Greek thinking. Mm -hmm. Though yeah. it was yeah. influenced by it, but it was also changed by the, this encounter yeah. and so anyway that's just this is a major example of something that you know it's not that you have to be equipped to understand all what were the, what was the interaction but to be on guard against simplistic um, things that that are, that are unhelpful, that are very widespread out there, especially in charismatic market. Um, so, it, it strikes me that kind of stepping back um, a bit, this this whole discussion has to do with the importance of of truth. I, I think in terms of that the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. Knowing the truth brings us closer to unity, um, and there are lots of ways in which we have, have believed things that have been passed down. And so, 
truth has a huge role to play in terms of repentance. Um, As George Miley correctly points out. Right. So I mean, th that's one th one thing we have to face the truth of of our the sins and the sins of our traditions. But then there's just there's just the simple. Um, simple historical truths as well. You know, one of the one of the things that was huge in my conversion, um, my conversion process to Catholicism was reading the Church Fathers, and I, I went through this this grief, um, this this personal grief and this sadness that I had been taught so many things that were just false, and and one of them particular was that that the whole um, the whole hierarchy. Of, of church structure was something you know evil imposed upon something that was originally pure and all you know that the, the the church was originally all house churches with no structure or no hierarchy and I had been told that all of my life but I had never looked into it myself and I don't think the pastors who told me that had ever looked into it and so when I began to to read the church fathers I was really struck with the sorrow that I had believed something that was really not true and it was very easy to demonstrate that it wasn't true and so I'm wondering why do we keep saying that this is the truth when it wasn't and it's very easy to show that it's not and so you know, that, was, that was confusing to me. Yes, but you see this is a very interesting point but um, of course you see in a way, the Hebrew concept of truth is different from the Greek concept of truth, and this mm -hmm. is an illustration of how there is an interaction of the two. Hmm. Um, and so, um, you see that the, the Hebrew thing was much more action-oriented and goal-oriented, and so in the Hebrew thinking, what is true is what is directed towards the right goal. Mm -hmm. um, and it's mm -hmm. also um, to do with right, it's clo more closely related to right action. Um, you know, so, um, so it's interesting that, you know, we have the Greek word orthodoxy for expressing sort of true authentic doctrine. Now orthodoxy actually means right worship or right praise. Um, the word, that's the meaning of the word. And um, But this also actually gives mm. the lie to this thing that the Greek idea was only a th totally theoretical concept. Mm -hmm. But um, and um, so yes, the um, Uh, and but I mean what Amy says is is right but, but the understanding of truth itself went through a development and I think an enrichment from both the Hebrew sources and from the Greek understanding but so that um, because you see truth is a major concept in the Gospel of John um, which actually represents, I think, the Greek and the Hebrew coming together in some way mm -hmm. um, in John. So, you know, he, you know, you have the thing that you will worship the Father here in, in spirit and in truth. Or, um, you know, 
word truth appears in John 17 in the Lord's in the high priestly prayer of Jesus mm. you know he consecrate them in truth mm. and so on you see um, and I think this is um, a bringing together of the Hebrew conception of truth which is more goal oriented and which is connected with doing the truth and the Greek concept, which is more um, where this idea of correspondence to reality mm -hmm. comes from. Mm. Um, okay, but I think they're brought together in John. Mm. So, but um, why is it be wise as serpents and? Or whatever, what, what is it? And sure innocent of doubt, or what's the right saying? Sure, something's. Sorry? Sure. Yeah, yeah that's it. The way we interpret that is retreat to the prayer room often, <laughs> lose yourself in God. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, I think. But this, you know, believe in the Spirit's guiding in all these things yeah. as well. That's one of the yeah. basic bottom line things I'm saying. Because yeah. you know, often I think people don't. People are seeking yeah. the Lord's leading about big projects and the Spirit guiding this and blessing that and bringing forth the fruit. And then you're going and buying lots of books and nobody's ever praying about what you're buying. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good point. Really good. And <laughs> Very good point. How are we on time? 5.45, so we should probably wrap up. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Father Peter. Thank well, you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure, joy, and a blessing. So, as a staff, would you uh, just pray for us and whatever is on your heart and how the Spirit leads? Just pray for us. Yes, certainly. I'd be happy to do it. Um, Maybe you should all gather together in a circle together, sort of, you know, to express your togetherness physically. Okay, praise the Lord. Sort of crashing. Yes, Lord, we just thank you for this group of brothers and sisters whom you have brought together in this place to serve you, Lord. And thank you for the faith you place in their hearts. Thank you for their trust in your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the way you have led them. We thank you for the way you will lead them, Lord. And I just pray great um, blessing on them, Lord, the, the strength and the power of the Spirit, but also uh, humility and gentleness, thank Lord. Thank you, yes. That Lord, that's both bold and yet not uh, aggressive, that is, that is strong, but not overpowering. Mm -hmm. Lord, that, that, thank you, Father. Just bless them, make them ever more stronger light in this place. And mm -hmm. thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you Father. And thank you.
not being discouraged by any apparent setbacks. Just a prayer for, for unity, but a, an example of unity. Mm 